Hello and welcome to the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. I'm Ralph Russo, college football writer with the Associated Press. This week on the show, we bring in my good friends, Stuart Mandel from The Athletic, Bruce Feldman from Fox Sports, to talk about their rankings of the top 25 coaches in college football. This has become an annual tradition for the show. Stu and Bruce inspire me to make my own list, and then I bring them on to tell them how wrong their lists are. It's great fun. I kind of work out my list on the air. At the end of the show, you'll hear my final version in three and out. Numbers one and two continue to be pretty easy. The guys think there is now a pretty clear number three. I'm not so sure. And by the time you get to about 10, it becomes a bit of a muddled mess. Jim Harbaugh is trending up. James Franklin is trending down. And the lane train seems to be picking up steam. This is always one of my favorite episodes. What's better than arguing with friends about things that can't be proven right or wrong? Thanks for listening to the show. You can find the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast at appodcast.com where you can also find my colleague Rob Motti's NFL podcast. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, just about anywhere you like to get your pods. If you like what you hear, please take a minute to give us a good review and rating. It helps more college football fans find us. It helps us find more college football fans. If you would like to email the show, send questions or comments to aptop25mailbag at gmail.com, aptop25, the digits 25, mailbag at gmail.com. And away we go. Joining me this week on the show, one of my favorite shows of the year, um, Stu and Bruce, Bruce and Stu. You hear them on the Audible. You read them on The Athletic you see Bruce on TV on Fox's pregame show and occasionally doing sideline shows, the big noon show. Bruce Feldman from Fox and the Athletic, Stuart Mandel, uh, Grand Poobah editor in chief, all knowing um, omnipotent ruler of the Athletics uh, college football coverage. Thank you guys for coming on. It's that time of the year. You've done your top 25 coaches. In college football, which always inspires me to do my list and to bring you on and yell at you and tell you how wrong your lists are. Um, but before we do, but before we do, super important, we are recording this the day after the uh, brackets have arrived at our doorstep. I want to do uh, this will be our men's college basketball tournament preview. Stu, give me a final four. Okay, with the caveat that I watched the least college basketball this season of, of any no caveats, season in my lifetime. Dude, no caveats. <laughs> this is this is your preview. Well, <laughs> I'm very confident in, in one side of it, which is Gonzaga and Baylor, and I know that's not very hard to, to pick the two one seeds. Uh, on the other side, I've got Villanova and I've got Kansas. Okay, Bruce. All right, so I agree with Stu. In the South, I have Villanova, although. I've been trying to tell every football coach I know, hey, this Kofi Coburn, if he ever decided it doesn't get play NBA, he'd be a really good offensive tackle. Um, I have Gonzaga. 
Uh, I got Purdue, provided Jaden Ivey doesn't play on any more slippery courts because um, <laughs> a little ace, you know, a little ice skating move was a little bit daunting to watch that happen. Um, and then the other one, I was a little torn for the Midwest because I feel like the way Auburn got got they got whipped, they ended up making the game competitive at the end. But like sometimes teams like that, when they seem like they tail off in, in conference tournament, they end up having like a getting a second wind. And so I was torn between them and I have like a, a little man crush on Ed Cooley just from all the Fox like access stuff. He's just, I don't know. I like him, but I'm going to ride Auburn because I just feel like Jabari Smith could make a run at first pick of the draft guy. And so I'm going Auburn. All right. And that's can- Bruce. You wouldn't know he's not like you know, sitting on, on. Yeah. I, I heard some, some throwing out some big names there. And I mean, I, I like, I, <laughs> Jabari Smith, he knows all about Jabari Smith. No, I, I mean, I like, I probably watch more college basketball this year than I did a couple of years ago. So, I mean, because I feel like there's some, there's, there's, I don't know. I, I just have, have kind of reconnected right. with college basketball a little bit. I'm going to step in here because so concludes our March Madness preview. That's it. We're done. Uh, I, I just, What's yours? I wanted to be, I don't know. I don't know. I'll, I'll do mine. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> No, I, I have a, I have a, I you have actually a, covered a conference tournament. You no, know, I'll, I'll pick mine at the end of the show. I have my three and out segment, so I'll, I'll, okay. I'll cover it there, but, but that's enough basketball analysis. I've done more in the past. I feel like somewhat of a fraud doing it this year. Cause I'm learning. I feel like I'm less and less of a college basketball uh, expert. So that's it. We have more important things to do because we have top 25 coaches, um, and as usually is the case, so a couple of caveats, not ca- caveats, a couple, couple of explanations here. I was, that word was implanted in my head by, uh, um, by you guys. So I tend to lean more with Bruce's process. He's a little more longer range, a little more body of work. A little more reasonable. There might be that, but I also don't want to gang up on Stu because I also feel like the last couple of years at times that we gang up on Stu. Well, I was just looking at your list and I remembered, I remembered being on the one either last year or the year before and being like, oof, this really does feel like two on one. And now I see why you take Bruce's approach to even more of an extreme and, and give like career honorariums to, to people like Mac Brown. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I, I say, you know, I am always like, it's the top 25 coaches right now. It's kind of like a, like the, I'm their boss giving them a performance review. And okay. so it's not like, like, the broader picture doesn't, it's not that it's irrelevant, but recent last three, three seasons or so is the most important thing to me. Okay. I've also, and, and this is a little bit of a, by the way, Ralph, okay. just the whole, the thing that he just kind of threw in there. Yeah. If I'm Andy Staples and I have a story that didn't sell, I'd be like looking at the kids going, Hey, we may, we may, we may not have to go <laughs> grocery shopping this week. Cause Stu may come down on me. He's like <laughs> that reactionary. seriously like i've always wondered what it's like to be Stu's boss and now i to be for Stu to be my boss they don't let me do the performance reviews yeah they they, they trust trust actual competent managers with that yeah gosh there are there are house cats with more long-term perspective (laughs) like definitely a what have you done for me lately uh situation here right if andy kind of mirrors the actual people they work for though right like and we saw fans. two coaches that I had in the top 10 a year ago. Yeah. Dan Mullen and Ed Ogeron got fired this past year. Well, it, well, that opens up a good part 
a door to this part of the conversation. And, and we will definitely get to the rankings quickly, but I, I, I've been having more, I've been taking more of a philosophical turn on, on coaches in general over the last few years. And as much as it's really fun to do this, and I want to do this, and I enjoy doing this, I also find myself taking this far less seriously, only because I'm starting to think that we really make way too much of the coaches. (laughs) Like I actually, I'm starting to think more and more that like there are a lot of good coaches whose success or failure essentially is determined by their situations. Like that, that, like, yes, Saban is different and he is a difference maker, but once you get to like anything past like five or six, eight or nine, like, I don't know. I think you could scramble up a lot of these guys, throw them in different situations and get very and get results that are very much dependent on where their programs are or what what programs are coaching. So I don't know. I'm just becoming less and less of coach as savior. And I think a lot of it came to me this year when I watched like what Miami did with hiring Mario Cristobal and what USC did with hiring Lincoln Riley and thought like those are really good hires. But what's important to me is not as much the people as what those hires represent in terms of investment in the program. So that that's where I am on this. I let's say less coach as savior and more. What is your program's level of commitment? One thing I look at looking at your list and I don't want to spill the spill that yet, but um, one thing which I think you do, having said what you just said and what I definitely do is there are certain jobs that are not, that are just different. And so, you know, I will defend, you know, Jim Harbaugh. I will defend James Franklin because what Jim Harbaugh did at Stanford when Stanford was that and what James Franklin did at Vandy, like, I just don't think like those are not like you, you can't, you can't forget that that happened. People are like, oh yeah, that was like, that was like a, that was like a decade ago. I'm like, well, listen, I'm giving Jimbo credit for winning a national title at Florida State. And by the way, that program started to really backslide in a bad way while he was still there. And quite honestly, except for one year of, of you know, four, he hasn't really done anything at Texas A&M that's, that's profound. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm giving him the a lot of credit for what he did winning a national title at Florida State. Um, and I, I just feel like, and I'm not, this is not to take issue with anything Stu has done, but it's just kind of like, Sometimes if somebody has done something extraordinary at a place, you know, like, I mean, look, you have chip 21. I think I have him 16. What he like, what he did at Oregon was remarkable. And I, when I look at this list, your list, my list, Stu's list, one of the things I come back to is certain guys are like, if you said to me, who is like the best game planner offensive mind, I would probably, there's probably like two guys I would think of. And actually they're both in my they're both in the city I live in, you know, now that Lincoln is here, mm-hmm. not to say there aren't other really good offensive coaches, but, and just, you know, Saban to me kind of ruins the list in a little bit. Cause he, everything you said, Ralph, I agree with, except he is such the outlier because his staff comes and goes mm-hmm. uh, at a remark, you know, like great players come and go. Sometimes he misses on five stars, but like, you know, by and large, there's such a system in place and he is so hands-on that he is the coach that like all these other guys are not, they're not even close to him. Mm -hmm. So 
Stu, I think the other this uh, was the first year that that you guys both sort of had a consensus, I think, on number three. Right. I think uh, now I'm I disagree with you guys a little bit on this, but we, we we've gone through a few years of, of course, Saban, number one, of course, Dabo, number two. I think you might have had a year, Stu, where, where you had them one and one A one A and one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, one A, one B. But, you know, Saban, was- Dabo, that's all fine. Number three has been a little bit of a of a of a revolving door. But now you guys have both landed on Kirby Smart as number three. And the only reason I want to bring that up, because like I still kind of go back to body of work. And also, like, I absolutely positively want a longer resume. Like even I know, Bruce, you had this um, qualifier. I don't know if you did this, Stu. Um, did you did you also not include anybody who was two years or fewer, Stu? Because I know Bruce wrote for that. me the, the the thing is you got to have two years okay. um, to be considered. But it's only two. But you like in Stu's just missed a cut, which means he considered him. Mm-hmm. Was Dave Aranda? You know, was one of them. And Dave, right. you know, has only had two years, and one of them was not a good one. So. So, yeah, even with Kirby, I felt like, yeah, it's five or six years and he's done an amazing job. So he has to be on here somewhere. But I almost felt like there are other guys with longer resumes that maybe deserved a, a bump over him. But was there any was there any hesitancy to having Kirby smart from Georgia as number three? Stu? No, I mean, now that he's got the national championship and you look back since 2017 at the run he's had, you know, number two, number eight. I'm sorry, number two, number seven, because we're going to use the AP poll on the AP podcast. Number two, number seven, number four, number seven, number one in the country. That's that's a heck of a run. As we know, he um, has established himself as Saban's equal, if not better, as a recruiter. Um, you know, it is tough. And we've talked about this. The tough thing is you're comparing uh, coaches at a school like that with their, you know, unlimited. I mean, I think Georgia spends like two million a year on recruiting. Um versus you know i'm also trying to compare him to the coach at army or the coach at uab uh but yes i think he's earned that spot okay so uh at number four is where the the fork in the road comes and again speaking back to you know Stu always being a little more in the moment uh you have ryan day or no excuse me you're i'm sorry this is uh bruce with ryan which actually actually doesn't surprise me that much because i think bruce tends to be a little more of how do you draw up your ball plays Right. I I think I think Stu tend I think Bruce tends to be a little more X's and O focused. But uh, Bruce has Ryan Day at number four. Uh, Stu has Brian Kelly at number four. I, by the way, have Brian Kelly at number three and Kirby Smart at number four, because I still look at Brian Kelly and see 30 years of coaching experience and one losing season, including 11 years or 12 years, I guess guess it was, at what I think is the toughest job in the country, and that's Notre Dame. But, of course, uh, Stu, having Brian Kelly at number four is is certainly um, uh, reasonable, and Bruce having Brian Kelly at number five is not much to argue about. But I want to get into Day with you because, um, you know, Stu, you had Day at number five. So, yeah, again, we're not talking all that much of a difference here, but I still look at Ryan Day after three years and think, oh, I'd really like to see a little more resume here for a guy who took over a team that had Chase Young and Jeff Okuda on it. Like, I, I know he's, he's been great, but I don't know. I, I found myself a little more hesitant to put Ryan Day in the top five. 
Well, with any of these coaches, right, we're always a year away from being proven completely wrong or completely right. Yeah. Um, you know, Dan Mullen and Ed Ogeron. Yeah. I do find it unlikely that Ohio State will come out next year and 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 go nine and four, um, especially with with CJ Stroud and, and Jackson Smith and Jigba back. But um, I think it wasn't true that Ryan Day did not lose a Big Ten conference regular season game. Until yeah, only Michigan game this year, yeah, only lost. Yeah, so he almost went three full seasons. He has lost. That's the only. He almost went three full seasons without losing a Big Ten conference regular season game. I know that sometimes fans and, and us as, as well think like, "Well, it's Ohio State, you know, whoever the coach is, they're going to be really good." But you know, we see around the country. If that were the case, why has Texas been bad for so long? Why has USC been bad for so long? Like, even at the most prestigious places, you you can screw it up uh, if you don't have the right coach in place. So, so Bruce, what was uh, what was your reasoning? On, I mean, only because you gave him a little, even a little more levitation here, and yeah. I guess his first year on the list too. Yeah, I just feel like he has improved some of the things. Like with Urban, I felt like you would get, and I think some of this is Urban's persona. Um, you would get these high, you know, it's kind of like what he how his how his quotes are <laughs> incredibly high highs and incredibly low lows and i think with with now look um ryan day kept the best parts of uh, urban meyer's program in place so it i get why you said when you said okuda and and uh chase young it's also certainly you know it's mickey marati it was larry johnson you know he uh, you know he's certainly elevated brian hartline but there's there's a lot of those pieces were already kept the best parts of it but if, you know, if you asked me, and this is, comes back to it a little bit, um, if I was going to quibble on Brian Kelly, because I think he's done, an, done a, uh, an amazing job at Notre Dame, just for the slight thing of like when they do get in, you know, there's been a bunch of blowouts, you know, as we know. And if I was splitting hairs, but yeah, maybe this is, this is, maybe this is me getting stew fever and just, you know, being a little too reactionary in the short of, you know, body of window, but I do think Ryan day, he's his own, he's his own OC. I do think there's something about him um, in terms of just really good at being a top level offensive coach. And I think that, you know, to somewhat to Lincoln Riley, to some of these other guys, I mean, in the case of, you know, look at some of the guys on my list, Lincoln Riley, him certainly chip kelly and those are guys that they're the you know it's not they're not dependent on who they hire as an oc whereas you've seen some other guys you know as you know as much as i reflect you know respect what james franklin has done in his body of work you know it kind of has varied a little bit with joe moorhead was a was a brilliant hire sorry for him but you know like that was big and then there's been other ones that didn't work out like kirk Sharaka who I thought did, did a really terrific job at Minnesota. And I think he'll do it again, but that one didn't quite for, you know, a lot of circumstance didn't quite work out. Whereas, you know, in the case of Ryan day, in the case of some of these other guys, you know what you're getting when they run their show. Whereas we've definitely seen, you know, some Brian Kelly, some, some of the staff, you know, wasn't, you know, it's, it's been a little bit up and down on that a little well, again, there, there's minor differences here between you and between Stu and Bruce on their lists at this point, right? It's, uh, it's you know, again, it's uh, Kelly at four, Day at five, or Kelly at five, 
uh, or Kelly at four, excuse me, Kelly at four, day at five, or, or day at four, Kelly at five. At number six, both have Lincoln Riley. At number seven, um, it's Jimbo Fisher for Bruce, which is a little bit more in line with what I have. I have Jimbo at five and Lincoln Riley at six, whereas Stu comes in at seven with Kyle Whittingham, who I also have at seven, but Bruce has at eight. So again, we're all sort of bunched up here. I think the differences start coming a little after that because, you know, Bruce, James Franklin's still at nine. Um, uh, down from five last year. I, I read the comments on your stories. Uh, Bruce gets a, a lot of a lot of heat for for being a shill for James Franklin. I think James Franklin is a good coach too. I I I, I uh, pushed him down my list a little more this year, but I've always been pretty high on James Franklin as well. Whereas Stu uh, dropped the hammer on James Franklin and dropped him all the way down to, I think it was 17. Oh, 17 no. last year. Now we're, now we're down to 23. Down all the way to 23. Wow. So, and I have James Franklin on my list at 11. And I was even thinking maybe knock him down another peg or two. 22. Uh, but, I, but, but I doubt I was going to have him any more, any more than maybe 12. So let's talk about James Franklin here. Cause it's a good example of like, you know, again, the way we approach these lists and, you know, the other things, you know, I will say I'll, I'll try to play devil's advocate here on both of you guys uh, for Bruce. Like this is two, two years in a row where he has underachieved. And I understand context is super important and I'm not sure any program was hit harder by the pandemic in terms of just operationally the way things went about than Penn State in 2020. Yeah, yeah, let me jump let me jump on that one. So the 2020 year, obviously, Micah Parsons, if anybody who watches NFL knows, he's was the most talented defensive player in the country. I don't even think it's close. Mm-hmm. He opts out. Then kind of the heart, heartbeat of the team is a is a maybe an awkward way to put it given Journey Brown's situation, but one of the best running backs in the country. And his he couldn't play because medically he has to retire. And from everything I heard, that kind of gutted you know, kind of gutted their locker room the way it happened. So I get it. They were reeling. It's a pandemic year. And then 2021 was not good. I can see, you know, and Stu's wheels are turning going, yeah, I gave him a pass on 2020, but 2021, I'm not going to. Here's my issue though, is, and again, I'll come back to Vanderbilt, but I'll even come back to Penn State where that program, as you guys both know, was so like slammed and had no buzz about it at all. And he got them a bunch of 11 win seasons. They won the big 10. I think people for like, he made them nationally relevant. Again, he made them cool with recruits and, you know, like I'm not going to put too much stock in the fact that they just signed the number six class in the country, but if people are saying, yeah, the program's falling apart, well, they just signed the number six class in the country. So, and they got one of the top quarterback recruits in the country. So it's like, you know, if we're going to have him be reactionary on everything, well, then you should probably need to pay attention to what he did in recruiting in the face of, you know, a a down two-year cycle. So for me, yeah, I definitely dropped him down, but I don't, I can't think of three coaches on this list who I think could have done what Franklin did at Vandy. I'm sorry. I just like, I don't. I don't, yeah, Saban, yeah, I'm sure he could have. Beyond him, I don't know. I really don't because I think it takes a lot to do what he did there. 
And I'm not sure how many would have done would have done better than what he's done at Penn State, especially to get them out of the ditch. Of uh, you guys remember how how bleak things were. Um, so that's my. Spiel. I'm gonna let I'm gonna let Stu retort here again. I I lean a little more towards Bruce, maybe not quite as bullish, but having Franklin at 11, and you know maybe I'll adjust and go to 12 if I could be talked into that. But I'm certainly not putting him at 23 or 22. So. I'm teeing you up, Stu. I'm not jumping on you. We're not ganging up on you, but I'm teeing you up. Go for it. <laughs> well, I mean, everything Bruce is saying about his previous accomplishments, I, I 100% agree with. And in fact, for some reason, James Franklin, I think maybe because he, remember at Vanderbilt, he was very uh, raw, raw, felt like, you know, um, over the top salesman kind of. He's definitely dialed back on that. But he's he's had detractors from day one. And so there'll be people who say, oh, yeah, he won nine games at Vanderbilt, but they were beating the bad teams, in the SEC, and I and I'm like, who cares? <laughs> no, Vanderbilt didn't used to beat the bad teams Mark. either. You know, say the same things about Mark Stoops at Kentucky right now. It's like, oh, who has he beaten? I mean, it's Kentucky. It doesn't matter. They, you know, they weren't beating these teams before. So, and then Penn State again when they got the sanctions, the Jerry Sandusky scandal. I thought that program would be relevant for a decade, and within two years or three, I guess it was third season Big Ten championship. Yeah. Um, so I. I think all those things, you know, are, are, are markers of a great coach. Um, I think that the lot and to yeah, Bruce was right. I was thinking in my head, well, I gave him a pass for 2020. He came back this year and it's not just that they're underachieving record wise. It's that they're really spinning their wheels on offense. He's churning through coordinators trying to figure out what to do. They can't come up with a better answer at quarterback than Sean Clifford. Um, you know, it just hasn't, it, it, it's not, um, you know, at some point you got to hold him accountable for what he's doing right now. So did I go too far in the other direction? Possibly, but um, I don't, I don't think based on recent work, like we're now a little bit farther removed from that period where with Saquon Barkley, where they beat Ohio state. And then they were, they could have beaten them like both of the two seasons after that one point losses where uh, Ohio state came back. And now they're now nobody would say those two programs are particularly close right now. Didn't they almost beat them last year? They hung around for like three quarters, yeah, but they were never. Beat, yeah, almost yeah. Beat was a little bit of a stretch. Their defense. I mean, look, their defense has been great all throughout. And if they just had even adequate quarterback play, maybe they would have been right in the mix last year. So um, I think that now that he has that contract, I think that was a, you know, something that hovered over the whole season. Thanks, frankly, to Bruce, who started stirring the pot for, him to you to USC as soon as they fired uh, Clay Helton. Um, yeah. I mean, I think he, that that's over. That distraction is over. Remember they, he had like a really, uh, there were the year before that. So it would have been the 2021 class where they didn't get a single good kid in Pennsylvania and everybody was freaking out. And then he signed that contract and he signed as Bruce said, a top six class this past year off to a great start next year. So I have a feeling we'll be revisiting this again next year and he'll coming, coming off a pretty good season and, pushing him back up so yeah so i wonder if i'm being influenced a little bit by recruiting rankings by having jimbo at number five i've been a little i've been a little more cautious on giving jimbo too much uh air in these rankings over the last few years because the, the championship is further and further in the in the rearview mirror but i see the makings of things coming together at texas a&m so i might be jumping the gun a little bit on let's see him actually do it more on the field Maybe I should have had Jimbo, you know, closer to seven or eight, like you guys have him, um, or or nine, uh, as opposed to number five, which is where I had him. So, 
when we get toward the bottom of the top or the back end of the top five, top 10, Stu, you have Luke Fickle at number eight after having him at number 11 last year. So you were pretty high on Fickle even as soon as, uh, as last year. Um, Bruce, you have Fickle at number 10 after having him as number 20 last year. Now, so again, so Bruce is sort of like more veering into Stu territory here with like, okay, now I'm sold. This guy is one of the best coaches in the country where I still am still cool on Luke, so to speak, uh, having him down more at the back half of the top 20. What more do you want him to do? Growl. I would just want him to have Luka a took the first him, ever group of five playoff team. I want him to be a head coach longer. I just want these guys to be head coaches longer. Like he had the perfect situation. I guess what I'm saying is like we see coaches who have these perfect storms. Hello, Ed Orgeron. And for a couple of years look like, man, that's a great coach. And then after a few years, the program, the program plays out. You have some of the, the great programs, the, the great players cycle out. Now, what do you do? And that's the reason why I'm holding off on, on Luke fickle, but Bruce, you know, again, like, you, you know, you, you're, you're sort of all in on Luke at this, at this point with the top 10 ranking Stu at number eight. Uh, tell me why you, 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 you jettison, you, uh, you put rocket fuel on Luke fickle. I think for what Stu said, you know, he did. I think it's pretty amazing to get a group of five into the playoff. I thought what, what stands out to me, and I'm going to probably agree with you, Ralph on this is, he did a did a tremendous job in evaluating players early on. And so I think what he did there, I think bodes well. Now, I think they're losing almost all those guys. Right. So, you know, even the guys that he didn't maybe evaluate on the front, like like Jerome Ford came from Alabama, but like obviously turned out to be a really good player. But then you had a lot of guys who were underranked recruits who try, who either they were really smart evaluations and they developed. Now, I think this is will be a good litmus test to see how close can they get to what they've been in the you know over the last three years to see if they can do it now when you're basically hitting the reset button because you're losing a bunch of guys to the nfl and if he can show he can do it again now they should be able to now they can recruit more to it right because of um because of the visibility they've gotten certainly and now they're going to be in the big 12 that should help too so i i think some of those things set up well i also give him credit for when he took over cincinnati i mean tommy tuberville had just really kind of took a dump in that program and i think he rolled it into the ditch yeah he rolled it into the ditch you know so i give him credit for that now look i mean i i'm not going to hold the year at ohio state where that was the one time where ohio state wasn't really really good but you know like i guess like you know i'm pretty close to stew on this one i think what he did last year and i don't feel like it was a one-year wonder but like there was something to be said for the nucleus of this team has been the nucleus of it for a while. So now all of a sudden, can he, I don't want to say capture the magic, but can he, can he show he can do it? Yeah. I think that's a, that's a valid point you're making. Well, I, I know you want coaches to stay at these places longer, Ralph, but what do you, what's the average tenure do you think of a group of five? Like once the group of five head coach has success, they're like, think about Tom Herman. He was two and out at Houston, right? Mm-hmm. We never, you know, I think the mistake we all made, and Texas included, was just was you know 
concluding off of just two seasons. Yeah, this it's guy really, can run a major really ones. It was really one, Stu. His second year, remember, was pretty – it was okay. kind of – yeah, so, it was yeah. Of, so that's right. different. So clearly, high highs, low lows that year. A couple of very big wins, beat Oklahoma, beat Louisville, but also lose a bunch of games. Yeah. Conference. So he gets all this credit for that season where they beat Florida State in the Peach Bowl, and yet most of those players are not players he recruited. Whereas, you know, the thing about Luke Fickle that makes it very easy for me to evaluate is he built the thing himself, right? Get it gets there, goes four and eight, and then eleven and two, eleven and three, nine and one in the COVID year, thirteen and one. Like we just saw him build this program practically from scratch, take it to the highest level that that program at that level is going to get to. And you're right. Like, we'll see what happens from here. Obviously they're, they're going to move up in conference next year or not this year, but next year. And, um, and that might, you know, you might see his, his record take a, a dip because of that, but I don't know questions to me. What he just did over the last four or five years was a tremendous coaching job. So hey, Ralph. Thing, yeah. Not to jump ahead too much on you, but I do want to ask you something because it's kind of skipped through a little bit. Sure. So you, in your top 10, you have Jim Harbaugh number eight, you know, and we know Stu has a history. We were ramping up to that. (laughs) I know. We know Stu has a history with Jim Harbaugh. He doesn't respect him, but like, um, I don't know. Like how much of this, like, where did you have him last year? I don't remember. And I had him around 20 last year, and I think you guys both had dropped him out altogether. I did. Year. Stu did. Stu I hated did. him. I did. But, like, <laughs> but what I was going to say is, so you had him at 20. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, they had a great year. They won the Big Ten for the first time in 17 years. But you took him from 20 to 8. That's a very stewish behavior. Well, because I've always been supportive of him. Because I would say, because, again, like uh, going back to resume's body of work, like what you did doesn't go away. And it sort of goes back to what you said. Like, like who on here, when you talked about Chip, like who on this list has a better run than what Chip did at Oregon? Very few guys have a better run. Now, I understand you can't solely judge him on that. That was almost like the leather helmet era at this point. It is not it is not. I'm just kidding. I'm just but when kidding. I go back to Harbaugh and say, like, he went to three straight NFC championship games in a Super Bowl, like that still is on his. Well, wait, now, team. hold on. Time out. Do you guys you so you guys, when you're evaluating him or any other coach on here, I, I, I can't not. you include the NFL part. Yes, I mean, I can't not. The coaching. Yeah, I, mm-hmm. I, I don't weigh it heavily, heavily, but I know the Niners were spinning their wheels before he showed up. I just can't, I think they're two different sports and I can't really, I mean, if, if, you know, it would be like, if you're going to do that, fine. But then like, you know, that means that Saban had a rough patch in his coaching career, which I think was completely irrelevant to his. By the way, Saban was not urban as an NFL head coach. Yeah. Three years where he didn't have a quarterback. I'm just saying that I don't think success or failure as an NFL coach has any bearing on how good of a college football coach you are. Yeah, I can't get that out of my mind, though. I can't do the the men in black thing and, and do a, a – Maybe a that's maybe that's been the source of this disparity between us, Bruce, all along, because I basically no, just cut that out and go from Stanford straight to no, Michigan. Stanford was abysmal, and he turned them in. And honestly, Stanford's really backslid now since, you know, since he's been gone. All the physicality and all the stuff that he instilled – we all like David Shaw. We all think he's really sharp, but that program is not the same now. And, you know, I don't think you, Stu, give Jim Harbaugh enough credit for what he has done. And look, I, I, I think 
I get where you're coming from on the NFL versus college, but I do think there's, you know, it's hard not to think of some of that. Just like there's a lot like, Stu, you factor in some stuff where you're talking about how, you know, a program is or different circumstances. It's like those are unique situations to a coach. But at the same point, like you are the biggest, like biggest Bill Clark fan I've ever met. And Bill Clark has done a really terrific job there. But you're also factoring in a lot of stuff that like, you know, it's unique, right? It's unique to that situation. So I don't think you can necessarily have it both ways. You're listening to the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast with your host, Ralph Russo, the Associated Press College Football Writer. If you have any questions for our host or any of our guests, email the show at aptop25mailbag at gmail.com. And to get the rest of your football fix, also take a listen to the AP Pro Football Podcast with host Rob Motti, writer and sports radio personality as he tackles all the important news on and off the field of the National Football League and provide you with insider exclusives and in-depth analysis along with insightful interviews with Hall of Famers, current players, coaches, and executives. Rob will take you around the league Break down the biggest games and keep you in the know only the way AP can. Like, subscribe, and comment wherever you get your podcast. Now, back to the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. Yeah, but I think, you know, listen, I know you guys disagree on Harbaugh, but I'm going to, this is where I think when I sent you my list, you looked at it and went like, oh boy, because I have Harbaugh ahead of Brian Day. And it goes completely back to, I have, I have Harbaugh eight and day at nine. And yeah, maybe I'm trying to make it a little, you know, maybe I'm trying to poke the bear there a little bit with Ohio state fans, but again, it, it solely is based on this big body of work. And it's not just that Harbaugh did well. I, I think we also underrate how well Harbaugh has done at Michigan to a certain degree. I think we, we, he gets pounded for his time at Michigan because for all the reasons, right? Didn't beat Ohio State enough and things along those lines. But we sort of forget the fact that he has actually done pretty well at Michigan. I haven't okay. forgotten that. Before you no, guys no, make no. it seem like I have Let's zero respect for Jim. this, Ralph, as saying, you guys, it's this man in the right corner. Not me, this man in the right corner. No, no, no. no. Look, I, I the reason I, I was off his bandwagon for, you know, for few, starting basically with that 62-39 game is – you know, you're right. If you just look, go by wins and losses, it was pretty good. So I'm like, he's the coach at Michigan and they brought him there for, for, you know, everybody talked about at the time he was hired to beat Ohio state and win the big 10. That's it. And he hadn't done either of those things up until this season. So that deflated the ranking. He now did those things. So, I mean, I have him at 13, like it's not that far removed from where you guys have him. Um, and actually Bruce and I have him almost in the same spot at this point. That's true. So I, and that is a testament to, 40, I mean, 42 and 17 in the Big Ten is really good. Um, to your Ryan Day thing, Ralph, uh, I mentioned this, I think, in our podcast last week, how I think I asked Bruce, and he said he doesn't do this, but I sometimes found myself when it would be, you know, you're comparing two coaches head-to-head. Who do I have just gut feeling? Who do I have more confidence in? Who would I, If I were a team hiring a coach, who would I have more confidence in? And I chuckled a little bit when I saw yours because I think if we asked – if we did a, a, a survey of Michigan fans, who would you have more confidence in as your head coach, Jim Harbaugh or Ryan Day? They would say Ryan Day. 
I know, but he's been there for three years. I, I, you know, maybe it's just I constantly have Larry Coker flashbacks and think of like all these coaches who have just been in a place where that was a really great job and they walked in and it, and it stayed really good for a few years and none of the warts showed up because things are so strong within that program. And then it backslides. Right. And that's yeah, the words did show up a little bit last year with their defense, well, right? And, the, and, and he had to, and he had to, you know, go back to the drawing board there. And this being Ohio State, he just went out and hired Jim Broyles, <laughs> the, not the the Broyles finalist, right? Uh, I think he should have been the Broyles winner, Jim Knowles. So we'll see. I mean, my my prediction is that you will see Jim Knowles have an immediate impact and they'll get a lot better. But if your fear comes true and like the program has basically just been eroding every year without us noticing, um, because. Well, but it's, Ohio Justin, it's Oh, I know who you're thinking. You're thinking of Mark. You think Ryan Day is going to become Mark Helfrich, right? As soon as you take away the star what quarterback. He, what if he's just John Cooper? Like John Cooper, he's was, already. I think he's already beaten Michigan more than John Cooper. Did. Well, he's beaten Michigan twice. But can, yeah. I, can I interject one thing because Stu just brought up the defense part? I do give Ryan Day credit. Nobody else was hiring Jeff Halfley to be his to be the defensive coordinator at that point. He found Jeff Halfley. I mean, obviously, worked with him at the 49ers. That was a great hire for him as a defense coordinator. So I do give him credit for five. Like, I think he's he's picked some really good assistants that have made that place better. So I give him credit for that. Um, I'm, I'm, that's Well, here's what I would say. I don't know if you flipped Day and Harbaugh, if the results would have been, would be different. If, if, if Harbaugh was the coach of Ohio State, with everything that Ohio State had, like taking over for Urban, which was a program that was a rocket ship, right? Ohio State is the most bulletproof program in the history of college football. It is never bad. Ohio State has had, I think it's at the last six Ohio State coaches are in the Hall of Fame or Urban Meyer, right? So do you think they're all awesome coaches all-time great coaches or did some of them are just like hey man ohio state you just can't screw this up that's the and, and because it's only three years is the reason why i'm just hesitant on on day i did the same you know hey have to have at least two years so he wasn't in my rankings the last couple of years i almost just slotted him in at, at 10 as like okay listen he's done great but it's only three years i'm just really hesitant to buy in on three years at the at the most stable program in college football and say yeah you're great i'm sure i i'm pretty confident he's terrific as a coach he might be in the nfl soon and prove me and have even more success than harbaugh in the nfl but as of right now i just want to be i just i just i'm a little more cautious with these things which is why at number 10 I have Mac Brown because Mac Brown has had a long and illustrious career. He's done a nice job, though underachieved a little bit last year at North Carolina. I would also suggest that maybe he didn't underachieve at North Carolina last year as much as maybe we, maybe he was right. Maybe we we were all out, 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 out you know, above our skis on North Carolina. Maybe the hype was too much for North Carolina last year, but I just can't throw away Mac Brown's like, you know, full body of work 
thinking that he seems to be doing like has North Carolina on the right track. That's like, like the 10 spot doesn't seem to be overly aggressive when you start seeing the coaches around Mac Brown, when you have Jeff Monken at 10, Stu. who's done a really nice job. Stu has Jeff Monken at 10 and, and, you know, Bruce, you have Luke fickle, James Franklin, Dave Clawson at 11. I don't see any reason why jet like Mac Brown at 10 is any problem, but yet for the second year in a row, you guys have both said no to Mac Brown. And it is puzzling to me. If Les Miles hadn't gotten fired at Kansas, where would he be in your list? <laughs> He's actually, because Les Miles actually remained a nationally relevant coach longer than Mac Brown did. Yeah, but that's see, but that's not fair. That's because Miles did, Les Miles did his antics, his antics, Stu. That's not fair. No, I mean Mac Brown's last like really good team at Texas was the 2009 team that reached the national championship. So that was 13 years ago. Well, well, but I me, think Les Miles still had very highly ranked teams more later than that. But everybody got to acknowledge at some point. You know what? This guy is a dinosaur on offense. The game he's not adjusting. He's not one of the, he he has that national championship ring, but he's just not one of the the great coaches anymore and it's kind of I, I don't feel quite that extreme about mac brown okay. because he did come in and, and he's lit the world on fire in recruiting they had a really good season last year but to say he's that, that what happened in 2009 is at all affecting how he is as a coach in 2022 that's that's where i disagree all right as much as i hate this next uh little part to put in to be clear i hate that expression but because that's a stew go-to but Ralph, you if Les Miles were still at Kansas, he wouldn't be on this list of yours, would he? Well, probably not, because at Kansas, he would have he's already he proved that he stunk. Like he didn't do a good job. <laughs> but anybody would stink at King. Whoever got they given saving that job, he'd go two and ten. No, didn't stink. Mangino didn't stink. No, but he didn't show any improvement in his short period at Kansas. It was a joke at Kansas, too. Like he walked it, he was down, he was trending down at LSU, walked into Kansas, and we all went, Oh, that's not working either. Like that, he's not doing anything to improve Kansas. So, I mean, at least Mac Brown walked into North Carolina, immediately improved the team, had one very good season, and then last year it fell off a little bit. But we'll see what happens this year. I mean, again, maybe I'm being lured in by recruiting rankings and trajectory of the program. I look at North Carolina and think like last year was a step back, but I still see like some good things happening recruiting. Like they should be. They should they look like a program that will be pretty good over the next couple of years. And again, I'm not throwing out all the Texas stuff. And when you start looking at, you know, again, nobody likes Dave Clawson more than me. Go Rams, you know, Fordham, former Fordham coach. And I had Clawson at the end of my top 25 last year. And you guys, after one one year, are like, yeah, all about Dave Clawson, like. You know, how can like does Dave Clawson have anything on his resume to match what Mac did? No, but he's never been the head coach at Texas. Like, I mean, we have to, we have to, that's why, you know, you guys are getting on me about Jeff. Like to me, the easiest time, the ones I have the easiest time saying, yes, this is an example of good coaching are the guys who are at the farthest thing from blue blood. Program. I mean, like Vanderbilt. To win at Wake Forest. Like Vanderbilt, for yeah, Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt, for instance. Yeah, to win at Wake Forest, to win at Vanderbilt, or to win at UAB, when it was you got to be a really good coach. College, right? Oh, no. you got to be a really good coach now. <laughs> no. Guys, guys, James Franklin used to be in my top five. Like, I, it's not, I'm not, I'm the furthest thing from a James Franklin hater, just holding him accountable for his program, severely backsliding. Furthest. 
definitely agree. And I definitely agree. And by the way, I think he will rebound. The, the, there was an awkward period a few years ago where I think for Bruce and I both, where we had to admit that, you know what? Mike, Mark Antonio and um, Terry Patterson, guys, we both had in the top five who've had these admit. Like might we might have to start dropping them a little. So bit. yeah, you know what? We might have to start dropping them a little bit further because this isn't coming back. I don't feel that way about James. Well, Frank. David Shaw, I, I dropped David Shaw completely. Yeah, because like the last couple of years have been pretty brutal, and, and just as we mentioned earlier, he took over a good situation with James with, with Jim Harbaugh. Do I think David Shaw's not a, a, a terrible coach? No, but like at some point, that was my adjustment on him. And I also agree with you, Stu, on this. Like, and I and I. I say this a lot. How are you compared to the history of your program? Right. When you talk about Jeff Monken and I have him. That's my number one criteria. Yeah. Well, you, you, that and whatever just happened last year. So <laughs> yeah, last because, month. Because Clawson's done a really nice job. You've still got, speaking of which you've still got, you know, Bruce and I both reluctantly dropped Pat Fitzgerald out. Cause he's gone one and eight in the big 10, two of the last three years. You're you've still got him above fickle. Well, but he's also got two West championships in the last four years. So we can play this game all you want. Like again, like compared to the history of Northwestern, that guy's still a good coach. So I don't want to penalize him just because it's Northwestern and it's really hard and you're going to have peaks and valleys at Northwestern. What's the difference to you between him and David Shaw? That Shaw's last Pac-12 title was two, was longer ago. Um, I, whew, that's a good question. But But here, but think about this. Pat Fitz, like, by the way, I mean, I didn't have him on my list, but it was close. He really has elevated and built sustained. Whereas I think when David Shaw took over Stanford, I mean, they were number four in the country. And it was like, I don't know about you guys, but I would think if you're a high academic guy, why would you not go to Stanford? Like they should be able to win all these head to heads. And that program has really slid down. I mean, North Northwestern was nowhere near what Harbaugh left behind. There is a history but, of winning at Stanford, even that that precluded that was before Harbaugh. Like, I mean, they were very bad when Harbaugh took it over, but the, the history of Stanford football is one that suggests you can win at Stanford. The history of Northwestern, other than ARA back in like the yeah, ARA Parsegan back in the 60s, the history of Northwestern for about 40 years was we are the bottom Yep. Very bottom of the Big Ten. There have been little signs of Gary Barnett. And I want to credit Randy Walker. He, he injected some life in that program. But sustained success at Northwestern has not been a thing until Pat Fitzgerald got there. Yeah. Pat Fitzgerald has um, proven that you can have a, a stable contending program over a long period of time there, which has never been done and which he deserves all the credit in the world for. David Shaw, you know, I, I'm, I'm starting to suspect that you guys feel like he just kind of took over Harbaugh's and then, you know, it was all hard, like five years after Jim Harbaugh had, had already gone to the NFL and gone back to Michigan by the time Christian McCaffrey arrived at Stanford. So David Shaw did, did plenty on his own, but they have stunk the last three seasons. Okay. I want to move on a little bit here. Cause I have something to do coming up. So I, I we don't have that. We don't have endless time here on this program. Um, let me get to some hot button guys. One is I, I left Lane Kiffin off and, and which is weird because I, I felt like I was like one of the few people still defending Lane at, when, at the end of his time at USC. So I've always thought of Lane as a pretty good coach. So maybe I could be persuaded to like 
re-enter lane, but both of you had moved lane from unranked last year onto your rankings. Oh, no, wait. Stu had, Stu was not unranked. Stu was, Stu's been on the lane train. Oh, I'm sorry. Stu went from 24 to 11 because, because of course, (laughs) and Bruce went from unranked to 17. And I still sort of feel like, you know, lane is a bit of a roller coaster. Um, But you know, I'll, you know, we'll start with you, Bruce. What made you believe that, okay, now I'm going to buy in on Lane? Um, some of it was, I don't think, Lane Kiffin's not dramatically different a human being than he was 10 years ago, but I do think he's evolved. You know, I have to give him credit for that. And I think that he is a really good play caller and a really good offensive coach. And going back to my initial point, like, look, I have him near freeze. Obviously, they're both Ole Miss coaches and they're kind of, they're hot button guys. They're both really good play callers, even though Lane wasn't the play caller last year. Levy was. Um, but he's a really good game planner, really good offensive mind. You know, where I disagree from, like Stu's way more bullish on him, is he's had some good jobs. And up till last year, he only had one team that finished in the top 25. Then that's, you know, again, he's had some good jobs. And I feel like there's been a lot of roller coaster with Lane. And I feel like at times, especially in the past, it feels way more about style than substance or, you know, in that regard. But I, I don't want to sell him short on terms of what he has done at Ole Miss in, you know, at least last year coming off of what he did, mm-hmm. I thought was a terrific season. Before that, I thought I was like, I didn't see why Stu was jumping in on him to have him in his top 25 when they were four and five in the sec and and didn't even have a winning record in the one year Um, at a place where quite honestly, a lot of people have won now, you know, freeze one. I know there was a lot of sketchy stuff around his behavior, but you know, Houston nut, he did, he did win there too. Um, So that's where I am on lane. I I think he, to his credit or to, you know, in his defense, he took over USC with the sanctions. He didn't know he was getting it. Now he did take, there was some talent there, but there wasn't depth. He didn't do a great job there. He kind of, I think somehow how he managed it. He had a nice run in conference USA. Um, this is a subtext of one of the disagreements Stu and I have had. Where- yeah, I guess I found out last week, like, you know, Bruce is a peewee football coach in, in Manhattan beach. And I think he thinks that's a higher level of football than conference oh, USA. Man. No, but he is Lane's Lane and Bill Clark zero credit for no, their conference USA championship. Like, this has changed in the last five years where it used to be the Sun Belt was the worst conference in FBS. Now it's clearly Conference USA. I'm not saying it doesn't, if you win there, I'm to- totally discounting it. But I do think sometimes who are you playing week in and week out? You can pile up some wins because there's some there's some really bad teams left in there. Okay, let me throw, and I'm going to go to you with this guy, Stu, and that is you had, again, Stu, wildly swinging from place to place from year to year. Uh, Mike Gundy last year, you had unranked, now number 12. Bruce has him at number 20, also coming from unranked. I think both of you guys, again, like missed on this one too. Like I know, I think we both, I think I docked Gundy a little bit, but this guy's been successful relative to his program. I know he hasn't beaten Oklahoma enough, but, but again, success relative to his program for years, I have met 12 like you, but again, like, you know, Stu, I think I probably bumped him up four or five spots to get him to 12 this year, maybe six or seven, whereas you had him unranked last year and now have him at 12. So 
uh, you know, yeah, again, I have no defense for that. I, I, I was very surprised when I went to do this this year to find out I didn't have him ranked at all last year. Can I'm I, excited. Can it's 2020. I, can, I make, can I make a yeah. note? You know, he had the rough off season where I think that contributed to it. He or, or not off season leading into 2020. He had a rough off season. Yeah. Lead. And, and he'd had a couple down seasons before that, but he actually, they had, they finished in the top 20 in the 2020 season. So yeah. for whatever reason, I didn't, that wasn't enough for me to keep him in there or put him in there, but you know, his rec, his, his overall tenure at Oklahoma state has been tremendous. And what was really impressive about last season is as you guys know, like this was a program that for years and years, just tried to outscore you and not even really remotely try to play defense. And last year they won with defense. Yeah. Bruce, again, like I'm surprised that you again, were had sort of like sort of forgotten about Gundy the last couple of years. Cause again, to me relative to, you know, the, the history of that program, you know, I feel like he's been a and a solid like he's been consistent. He's been very and, cons- yeah, he's been nineteen and ten, right? I mean, that's like a place where he like where he lives, and he's been really consistent for a long time. No, he has been, but here's here's the challenge of this. Like, I have Kirk Ferentz at eighteen, and Kirk Ferentz is is you know, it's like I don't. If you ask me, who do I think has done a better job in a tougher league? I would say I would probably lean towards Kirk, Kirk Ferentz. I know people can go, yeah, their offense is this or whatever. You know, they're they're in a tougher conference, I think, in terms of defense. They're in a deeper conference. Um, and it's a little bit of splitting hairs, 18 to 20. That's kind of where it's like, all right, I know I'm going to have him in there. And then I'm like, where am I slotting him in terms of what he has done? You know, because um, the body of work is strong, right? You know, I look at it, you know, I have Mark Stoops 15, I think it's harder to do what Mark Stoops has done. Remember, and again, I don't want to ding Mike Gundy for this, but for a long time, I've heard how Oklahoma state has some of the best facilities in the, in the conference. You know, it's like, I don't know, like here, here's one. And I'm going to kind of maybe spin it back to you. One of the tougher ones for me to admit, and I was surprised Stu didn't even have him on your, on his just missed the cut is leech. And I have Leach at number. I was surprised Leach wasn't a need for either. I have Leach at 14. And again, it all goes back to look at the programs where he has coached. You're right. You're right. Hard to sustain success at those programs. Yet he is always winning games. He's always he's always winning more than he's losing. Do you, Ralph? Do you? And this is something I definitely think about, but I don't know how I didn't obviously make it a big factor. Like. Mike Leach has probably done more to influence the game than maybe anybody on this list, including the the number one guy. Well, you have talked about that before on on how that's why Leach has been on your list at times because of his influence on the game. So I didn't necessarily do that. I I kept it on that. Again, I'll, I'll harp on it over and over. Where have you been? Is that a program that, does better has done better after you left and what was that program before you got there and leach is definitely one of those guys that like if you look at the before and after of the programs where he has been generally speaking he has out kicked the coverage of those programs now maybe we'll learn a little more about this at mississippi state because i think that's the hardest place for him but even last year got to a bowl game there's going to be some expectations this year i could see dialing back on leach after this season but i thought that like i was still comfortable i also by the way think that we have all brutally underrated kirk ferentz (laughs) 
over well, especially, the years. especially the man in the upper right on the you no know, i know there was a thing once uh, many years ago where he called him the worst coach in college football but yeah that's uh, we're, we're even getting beyond that i mean i just think that we're like because even me i found myself thinking boy i've had parents pretty low on these lists the last few years and boy, he does a really nice job at Iowa. So, you know, maybe I got to give him and his body of work a little more respect. So I knocked him up to 13, right behind Gundy, right between Leach, and also right ahead of Matt Campbell, who I think really highly of, but how many times does Kirk Ferentz have to beat Matt Campbell before I rank him ahead of Matt Campbell? Your Mike Leach had a tremendous run at Washington State over the last three seasons. His records are six and seven, four and seven, and seven and six. Okay. Uh, Three and six in the Pac-12 in 2019, three and seven in the SEC in 2020, four and four in 2021. That is why he didn't really get serious consideration for my top 25 this year. Uh, Ference, here's the challenge with Ference. Track record, dessert. I mean, I'm sure he'll be in the Hall of Fame. He should be. Uh, if you're doing like career achievement, he should be in the top 10 of our lists. And even recent performance, like over the course of his tenure, like he's he's doing really well right now. My challenge this year with him, and I mentioned on our podcast, what he is doing, the, the, um, you know, the nepotism of keeping his son as the offensive coordinator, even as they seem to get worse and worse on offense every year, is not the sign of a great coach. So I was balancing, like, do I rank him just based on the fact that they won 10 games last year? Or do I include the fact that, like, they probably should have been even better if they had even a, even a competent, not much less 120th ranked offense in the country? And I thought about leaving him out entirely, but I, I kept him in. Okay, I'm going to do a little lightning round here. Um, I have Billy Napier on there, and neither of you guys put him on. I, I strongly considered him. Yeah, I put I him know. at number 20 right behind Fickle because I found myself thinking, like, his tenure is not that much different from Fickle's. I still can't believe you consider there to be 18 coaches better than Luke Fickle. I Again, you know, Cincinnati That's... has been a good program. In other words, Cincinnati has has the has the – foundation of being not not like this well what well, we saw brian kelly have eight guys at the combine this year eight saw, guys when brian kelly was at cincinnati they made it to a bcs game and they went undefeated and they would may have played for a bcs championship we have seen cincinnati reach these heights before we act like this is a program almost these heights doing, almost I, I think like relatively close yes i think the 2009 cincinnati team was one of those BCS darlings okay. um, You're right. that, you know, if you okay. put them in an actual playoff situation would not have, would not even have been as well, com- competitive as this one was again, you know, in this Alabama team this year. And got completely exposed by Tebow's Florida. Yes. So that, that's fine. So, so I, I'll get your point there. I'll take that. I'll take that hit. So I was a little surprised you guys didn't have Napier. Um, I'm not really sure what to do with Paul Christ these days, because Me I neither. find myself thinking like he's a pretty good coach. But boy, that program, we talk about like program and what you've done before or after. Like I, I often find myself thinking like anybody Wisconsin plugs in there, as long as he's a Wisconsin guy, will do well. Like that's that's the, that's the gift of Wisconsin is that we were going to find a Wisconsin guy, have him do Wisconsin things, and you will be a good coach. Especially the where the divisions are being set up now. And he's got the benefit more than any of the other coaches of how the divisions are set up. Right. Some of the other, some of his predecessors did not have that. So, um, Ralph, I want to ask you, because this has been a, one of the one of our bigger Stu and I's back and forth. You have Chip Kelly, 21. Stu does not have him anywhere near his list. What do you think of Stu? 
<laughs> well, listen, I struggled a little with it, too. Again, it, it sort of goes back to what I said earlier. Does anybody have a, a very few guys on these lists have a run like Chip had at Oregon? I want to give him a little more benefit of the doubt. He opened the window for me to get him back on this list because I'm pretty sure I, I might have knocked him off after last, after you know, going into last year. But he had some success at UCLA, so that makes me think that okay, you know, he's had. I also think that, and again, I know Stu doesn't think this is valid. Chip didn't completely flame out in the NFL, like his Eagles. No, I mean, yeah, he, he had has some a, success yeah. with the Eagles and then he took over a terrible situation at San Francisco and, you know, it didn't work out there. So I don't know. I give I give uh, Chip some credit for um, his NFL time. There's now a little success at UCLA. And again, I'm, I'm looking around going like, you know, Chip Kelly's resume compared to Mario Cristobal compared to, you know, PJ Fleck. Like, can I really say that those guys are better coaches than a guy who turned turned Oregon into a national power or helped elevate Oregon to its highest of heights? I think what Chip Kelly did at Oregon was one of the most impactful runs any coach has had in college football in the last 25 years. And so I think we all thought, okay, NFL didn't work out fine. Happens to the best of them. He's going to go to UCLA back in the conference that he's familiar with. And within a few years, they're going to be really, really good. And instead, you know, in the best, in, in his first, you know, fourth season, he finally has a winning record and it's an eight and four season. And the other thing that I think his system at Oregon was so innovative and, so, and, and caught everybody, everybody was so far behind it that it masked a little bit the fact that he doesn't recruit and he's getting exposed a little bit at UCLA. He's, he's doing well with the transfer portal, but he isn't recruiting. And, you know, the, the Jim Mora was bringing in much, much more highly ranked classes, say what you will, what he did with them, uh, than, he was than also Chip is. But he was also recruiting off lists. And sometimes I feel like with what happened with Jim Mora at the end was a lot of what happened with USC. You get, I think a lot of people get fooled by, oh, these were highly ranked classes. I don't know if those players were really being evaluated. I think that is not looking at it in, in enough depth. By the way, I don't know if you see this, Ralph, but Stu is is very much from the school of Gary Barda. He will give you a line and say, <laughs> "This." He'll go we have a lot of respecters. <laughs> he will go to somebody's house and be like, "Yeah, that is the best meatloaf I've ever had," and then he'll proceed to duck into the bathroom and vomit all over because <laughs> that's Stu. He will give you one line of to cover, and then he will go on and just dump all over it. I'd like to see Chip have a really good season at UCLA this year, like a 10 and two kind of season. So this can stop being a debate. I can put him back in and feel good about it. My fear is it's going to go in the opposite direction because Lincoln Riley is going to get things going at SC, you know, Chip Chip's tenure so far, he only ever had to deal with Clay Helton across town, right? This is not Carl Durrell as the coach of UCLA when Pete Carroll was the coach at USC. Guys, unfortunately, I have to drop off the conversation. I have to end the podcast here. I know we can go on forever, but I do have something else to get to. Uh, thanks so much, Bruce Feldman, Stuart Mandel. Read their stuff in The Athletic. I'll post links to their top 25 list. I'll post my top 25 li list in the show notes. Thanks so much for joining me this week on the podcast to argue about the top 25 coaches in college football, guys. Thanks for having us. And now, three and a half. I have the added benefit when I post my final top 25 coaches list 
to do so after hashing things out with Bruce and Stu. It's cheating, but it's my show, so there you have it. I'll have this in the show notes, but here's mine. Number one is Nick Saban. Number two is Dabo Sweeney. That's easy. Number three is now LSU coach Brian Kelly. Kirby Smart is fourth. I was wavering a bit here, but I'm going to stick with Jimbo Fisher at five and Lincoln Riley at six. Kyle Whittingham is a rock-solid seven. Here's where people will get mad at me because I have Jim Harbaugh number eight and Ryan Day number nine. That is very much a sample size issue, folks. Ryan Day's only been a coach for three years. Jim Harbaugh has a pretty long and impressive resume. At number 10, Mac Brown slides in. James Franklin is number 11. Mike Gundy is number 12. Bruce and Stu led me to reassess my stance on Luke Fickle, so I raised him a few spots to number 13. That's more than even a few, really. Kirk Ferentz is 14th. Matt Campbell is 15th. Mike Stoops comes in at 16th. This is also the first time I've had him on my list, and I probably have overlooked him a bit much. But then again, haven't we all? Dave Clawson is 17th. After an adjustment, I have Mike Leach at 18. Pat Fitzgerald is 19th. Billy Napier is at 20. That might seem a bit aggressive, but I do think his resume is pretty similar to Fickle's. Chip Kelly gets a bit of a lifetime achievement nod at 21. Lance Leipold slides in at 22. Please don't forget all the great work he did at Division Three. Mario Cristobal is 23rd. Am I underrating him? Really great recruiter. Record's probably a little better than I'm giving him credit for. Mario Cristobal is at 23 with a chance to make a big leap at Miami now. Paul Christ is number 24. I can't decide if I have overrated or underrated Paul. And Jeff Monken lands at number 25. Thank you all for playing along. Second down, I guess I need to make my final four pick since I made the guys do theirs. I'll go Gonzaga, Kentucky on one side of the bracket and Auburn, Illinois on the other side. I had sort of locked in on Illinois as my team outside of the top eight or so before the bracket was set. They didn't get a very good matchup in their region with Arizona as the number one, a very tall Arizona team that could neutralize Illinois' best player. Still, I'll stick with the Illini. And I'll take Gonzaga to run through two SEC teams, Kentucky and Auburn, on the way to a championship. Third down, want to get yourself excited thinking about next college football season? If you go to ESPN's scoreboard page, what you'll find is the listings for next season's Week 0 and Week 1 games. Right up top there is Vandy at Hawaii. And then UConn visiting Utah State. We're only five and a half months away from paying far too much attention to Wyoming at Illinois. Can't wait. That is the show for today. I'd like to thank my producer, John Radcliffe, for making me sound good. You can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, just about anywhere you like to get your pods. Please follow so you do not miss an episode. I am Ralph Russo, the college football writer with the Associated Press. Thanks for listening and come back for more next week of the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast.